my name's Todd. And this is Gabby. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 719. Why well, listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding and always remember our motto since I think the very beginning, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we have an old friend named John O'Sullivan. Hey, John. John was one of our first kind of professional friends we made. Isn't that right, sweetie? Yeah, I think we were at like one of our first professional like dinners that in LA. Just, that's another yeah. podcast, but that was an interesting night. So, <laughs> um, John, I could either read your bio, which I think would be lame and boring, but just tell the listeners who you are, what your expertise is, and then we'll jump into it. Yeah, sure. Well, it's great to virtually see you guys again. It's been um, too long. Uh that that was uh, the beginning of what I do now as well, way back then. So uh, these days I run an organization called um, Changing the Game Project. Uh, also host a podcast called Way of Champions. And I feel so lame because we've only done like 330 episodes. <laughs> so uh, compared to you two, we're nothing. But um, yeah, so basically my organization, we do consulting in parent education and coach education and athlete and team development, leadership development uh, throughout sports. So we work with everything from clubs and schools to universities and sport governing bodies. And uh, yeah, written a couple of books and um I guess we're here to talk about one of them today, but it's always so such a pleasure to talk to you too. And I'm just the work you do is just amazing. Oh, mm, thanks, John. Um, name of the book is "The Champion Teammate: Timeless Lessons to Connect, Compete, and Lead in Sports and Life." And here's my thing: I am uh, guessing that there might be some parents out there like, ah, sports, not my thing. My kids don't do sports. Blah blah blah. Like, I want to frame this conversation not through a lens of sports, even though it will just seep into it. It's I think of me, you know, because the way you write it, John, with your co-author, who sounds like a really interesting guy, by the way, um, is through the lens of a team. Like this is for a soccer coach or a football coach. I want to, I want to have this discussion through the lens of I am a a team leader on this team called the Adams Family, <laughs> not the TV mm -hmm. show. And Kathy's my co-coach, and then my other three kids, my three kids, are the players, and I really think. Almost everything in this book that um, that I read, and I read ninety percent of it, ha can be very easily substituted for parenting. And I think that that will be as valuable, if not more, than how do we get our kids to be good teammates on their soccer team? Does that sound like a good idea? Well, and I'll also say I think that because I totally agree with you, Todd. I want to like do the overview and how this connects to every aspect of our life. But like on the other, like just flipping that script, what I so appreciated about your book, John, is all the words that you and your co-author, you know, co-author were using around belonging and resiliency and facing obstacles and um, and how we treat each other and compassion. You know, I, I mean, I know those words have been thrown around in sports. It's not like it's brand new, but the way you write was so, um, it was, it, it put me at ease. I'm like, okay, this is a path we can do. And so it's like, even on the, you know, if for those of you who are listening just through the lens of sports, um, you know, and how to support your kids in this process or, you know, your own team, um, what, what you, you and your author are talking about, it's so foundational just for us as human beings. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, you know, what I'd say is uh, I'll give – so Jerry Lynch is my co-author and 
got to give him uh, kudos uh, as well. Uh, Jerry is a sports psychologist. He's been at it for, you know, four plus decades. Um, when, when I first met you guys, you know, I had written my first book and I'd done a TED talk about creating this environment that would allow kids to thrive in any achievement activity. It didn't have to be sports. It could be school, music, whatever. Um and and one of the biggest pushbacks, uh, like I'm a very competitive guy. I was a competitive athlete. I played Division One sports, professional soccer, coached at that level. Um, but people would say, "Oh, well, you know, my kid's competitive or or whatever." So I met Jerry, right? And Jerry at that time had teams that had won, I think, you know, 36 NCAA titles, right? He had won professional championships he had golfers win pga tour events you know he had all this stuff and he was talking about the same stuff and i was like wow like th this is it right here's someone who's teaching the same things and his teams are incredibly successful in competitive sport um so this isn't anti-competitive stuff or you know this is this is actually what is the root of competition which is you know to strive with your opponent to better yourself um, and so, you know, when we decided to write this book, it's because we do this team development work and because we're constantly working with athletes. And and I feel like, you know, and Todd, like to go to your question, you know, the the back cover of the book, the first thing that we write is you're going to be part of teams your whole life, right? Your family, your church, your community, your school, your work team, whatever it is, and whether you're trying to win on the field or chasing a sales goal, teams are teams and, and people are people. And so the, oftentimes, you know, children's first introduction is their family team and their sports team. And in sport, especially in youth sport, we're so rarely intentional about teaching people to be a great teammate. Yeah. And as you two know, I mean, the world we live in, the messages that kids are getting all day long says exactly the opposite, right? Get what's mine, become famous, become rich. How many likes, how much attention can I draw to myself? And yet that doesn't really play well in real life. And so when Jerry and I were like, we, we wanted to write the book that we would use with our own teams that we work with, but the same token, we're like, hey, this is a book for you know anyone who is a part of a team to understand how can I be better? Because if I'm a good teammate, I'll always be in demand. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. Um, okay. So first thing is before we jump into the book, it's called the Champion Teammate. Uh, I just want to like quickly remind our audience if you've shown up recently, we did interview John a long time ago. What was the name of your first first book? I forget. Uh, changing the game. Changing the game. So it's funny. I don't remember the title, but I remember the biggest lesson from that book that I used as a parent. Sweetie, do you remember what that lesson is or no? No. Mm -mm. It's the words that you're supposed to say, to, that you're supposed to say. <laughs> it's the invitation that John asks of what you should say to your kids at the conclusion oh, of the game. Todd says it all the time. I know it. Um, well, I love to watch you play. <laughs> I love watching yeah. you play or uh -huh. I love to watch you play. And that is worth the price of the book right there. I mean, obviously there's so many other nuggets that are valuable. Wasn't, wasn't John's book also the let the kid get in the car and don't say anything yeah, for a while? shut up. Yeah, and yeah. We, we really integrated a lot of that. What was great about that interview <laughs> was John told us a story about him not taking his own advice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, do you want me to tell that yeah, again? Yeah, real quick. Please. Yeah, 
Yeah, so it was, it was super funny. Um, and I tell this a lot when I give talks because um, it's just, you know, as, as parents, we're not, you know, we're not perfect. We all screw up. Like, um, I, you know, most of the stuff I write is just things that I've messed up myself. And so, yeah, this was when my son, who was really young at the time, five years old, four years old, he's playing his first soccer game. And I was the coach. I'm supposed to be this all-star coach. And he walks out in the field his first game and he goes, mm, yeah, I don't want to play. <laughs> and I was like, first game, I'm like, okay, hey, fine, no problem. And I coach the game and we go to practice that week and he plays with his buddies and it's fine. And we go week two and the kid and the kids are like, you know, everyone else getting ready to play and there's a game before and a bunch of tall adults yelling at kids and he just goes, I'm not playing. Hmm. And now I was embarrassed, right? And I was like upset and I'm thinking to myself, I'm supposed to be the all-star coach. My own kid won't play. He's perfectly happy because he found like a lizard or something over on the side of the field. So he's perfect, right? And uh, so, yeah, we get in the car afterwards and I'm putting on my seatbelt and driving and he's in the back. And I'm like, so uh, TJ and my wife can tell I'm upset. And she just <laughs> kind of gives me the old karate chop across the chest. And I was like, what was, what was that for? She's like, really? Didn't you just write a book about this? Like, <laughs> and then she was right, you know? And so, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's a funny thing. Um, well, John, but, I have to ask, uh, yeah. what was TJ feeling? What was the bottom line of all that? And not that, not that there was like a one solution, but there's obviously something it was about the people. Was it about like, what was it? Yeah, pr probably. And, and if I know anything about, I have two kids, right? They're both, uh, there'll be a senior and junior in high school as this upcoming year. Um, my daughter, my oldest is sort of the, uh, jump off the cliff and grow your wings on the way down yeah. person, you know, she'll just try jump into anything. And, and my son is very much like, Hmm, let's see if this is a good fit. And I, Spence and and so I was much more like my daughter, mm. right? Try everything, do everything, play every sport, whatever. Um, and so my I learned so much about myself raising my son, mm -hmm. um, because I had to constantly check myself, had to constantly, um, you know, take a breath, give him the time and space to figure stuff out. And, and it's funny because I know that. Like if I had pushed him into things like our family, like we like to ski and we, you know, there was times where we're like, no, we're going tough luck. Mm -hmm. Right. But if I pushed him into things, he wouldn't have done them. But because we we didn't like we introduced him and then we backed off and um, now he's an avid snowboarder and an avid mountain biker. And we get to do all these things together that if I, you know, said, oh, wow, he swung that golf club well. Let's go next stop PGA tour. You know, we're, we're, we're homeschooling, you know, he had just quit a month later, you know? And so, um, yeah. Well, Sorry. it's funny. So the book, uh, the, the newest book has three parts in it. Part one is connection, which obviously mm -hmm. I loved. Mm -hmm. Um, part two is compete. And then part three is lead. And we're going to jump around, but specifically through your example that you just shared, John, regarding you being in the car, uh, in chapter 11, it's don't react, respond. And you mm. have this uh, acronym that I've used. I actually learned it through a Tony Robbins workshop, but E plus R equals O, right? Mm -hmm. And I just wonder if you can maybe navigate your experience of how it would have been different if you would have used the E plus R equals O in relation to your son. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, sure. And I, and I think actually the um, there's a guy named Tim Kite from Columbus, Ohio, who I believe is the originator of that. And he does a lot of business development and leadership stuff. And anyway, uh, E plus R equals O, event plus response equals outcome. And it's this idea that um, you, the that your outcome is far more affected by your response to something than it is the event itself. Mm. And so in sport, it's a bad call. And now we can choose to react, lose our heads, yell and scream at the referee, whatever, or we can choose to respond, take a deep breath, play the next play, move on, refocus, whatever it is. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that that's amazing life advice, <laughs> right, is is that but because also events are out of our control, Correct. right? Competition, that whole section of the book, like w- what we teach our teams is don't show up to win, show up to compete, mm-hmm. right? When you show up to win, the, the outcome depends on so many things outside of yourself, officials, weather, fields, bad calls. Uh, your opponent could just be really, really good, mm-hmm. right? Whereas if you show up to compete, you control that, right? Mm. Have I prepared? Did I sleep? Have I eaten? Do I know the game plan? Um, I, I control my attitude, my effort, all that. And so when everything's in my control, I have much more confidence. Yeah. I have much more, you know, less stress and anxiety because I own what's happening. So, so sweetie, let's bring this into parenting. Okay. So... I, I mean, I don't want to gloss over how important this one teeny part of the book is. If we just did E plus R equals O as a parent, and every time our kids, not every time, our kids walk in the door, something happened out there in the world, it sucks, I get scared, and I want to fix or whatever, if I can instead not try not try to fix and really respond from a ground myself, place. center myself. Mm-hmm. And then respond from a place of not fixing, but listening and compassion. Then the outcome of that exchange between me and my daughter would be completely different. Sweetie? Well, yeah. And I, you know, and I'm like tacking this on. This isn't really a thing, but like, you know, equals outcome. And then I would put another equals relationship, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because when you, when those accumulate over time, the event plus your response to it, and then the outcome, then that will dictate how your relationship goes. That will dictate whether your children talk to you when they're struggling with something or when they're not feeling confident or when they do need support. Because if your response, or I should say, if your reaction is um, judgmental or, you know, doubting of them or blaming or just so, you know, the the emotions are not um, regulated or you're not agile with them, then this is where parents misunderstand. They'll say, but my kid knows I love them. They should come to me. But that ERO, if that happens over and over again, where they're getting this feeling of shame or guilt after talking or to judgment. you or judgment, they know that's in there. They're like, that's not the person I'm going to. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go talk to my parents about this. You know, I'm going to go somewhere else. So that's that's just another part of relationship too, or a, a part of what you were talking about with teams is who you are to these people, not just parents, but the coach. Um, the manager, are you someone that is trusted and dependable or are you someone that they're trying to avoid? And- yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, sorry to, sorry to interrupt there, Kathy. No, please. That's one of my natural reactions and the poor responses. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> but, um, you know, I just, as, as you're saying that I'm thinking, you know, coaching and, and, and parenting are, are very similar. Yep. And the one thing that w- we always talk about is, you know, when I when I go to coach a team, 
um, I, you know, I, I always call it the trust bank, right? Like you, you have to uh, build a relationship that can bear the burden of truth mm. as a parent and as a coach, 100%. And so when you start, right, you have a, it's like, think of it as a bank, your, your balance is zero. And I think it's so important. And especially as a parent, right, to that you're making deposits early on because you're going to have to make withdrawals, exactly. right? And and I think as a coach, it's the same thing. A lot of coaches step in and they start making withdrawals and they wonder why the kids pull away or their families pull away and there's no trust, right? And so it's the same thing as a parent. And so early on, I remember when I was, you know, coaching and I was coaching 15, 16 year olds and my kids were really little and you know, I was complaining to some of the parents, you know, probably because I hadn't slept or, you know, whatever. And they just like looked at me like small kids, small problems, <laughs> big <laughs> yeah. kids, big problems, you know, and and I and it's all stuck in my head. And I, I think my wife and I have worked very hard with our children to build that relationship and, and that trust so that, you know, when we get the phone call now that at you know, midnight says, Hey, can you come pick me up? I need a ride home. Yeah. There are no questions like, yep, we'll be right there. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the kind of thing that just, uh, I, I think is so, so important. And, and what I, what I see a lot from parents is they, they don't make those deposits and then they can't make the withdrawals. Mm -hmm. And so they either blow up the relationship trying to make them or they just say yes to everything and they don't give kids the boundaries that they need. So have you been able to cultivate that trust where they call at midnight and you don't a answer questions and they will call if or when they need that support, you know, friends driving drunk, whatever the case is, they, yeah. you have, you and your wife have made enough deposits where that will actually happen. Yeah. And, and, and it has happened and Same. it happens. And again, we've, we've done it and, you know, if it happened three nights a week, now there's problems, right? right? Exactly. But if it happens, you know, once every two months or whatever, like, okay, well, let's, let's go fix that. And, and then, you know, our kids are pretty open about, well, Hey, this is what happened. And we're, thank you for calling us. Well, that it's, was so, a it's so great decision because, <laughs> um, to your point, a lot of times people weaponize something Kathy and I will say, which is, you know, exactly the example we're talking about. Whereas if your kid needs support, being called at midnight, not asking questions, then, you know, a parent will say, well, what if they do that five nights a week? Like, yeah, well, then it's a different situation. But people tend to just, you know, go all in on one thing and it's never all in, sweetie. And well, I was going to say, and, and, and I still am like, but it's the same answer because if my child was struggling with something consistently, consistently, I still need that same relationship to have an influence in that possibly very difficult time for them. So mm -hmm. I think we really, and this so connects to sports, John, this is why I love these conversations with you because we so quickly go to this authoritarian or this like rigid or dictatorship mentality of like, well, things are going off the rail, so I am going to rein it in and no one's going to do this and we're not going to talk about this. And we go, and I feel like it's very fear-driven. And that because we do really run to, like Todd said, if something goes wrong, but what if this happens all the time and I got a whole, and there's no trust in human beings. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just talking about our own individual children, but humans, that's not how we're wired. We would like to be successful. If we're struggling, we don't want to be struggling. Like we would like support and we, 
but it's very fear-based. Like, and, and I'm sure you find this with, you know, with parents, but also with coaches, you know, that that mentality of I've got to keep control versus have relationship. A hundred percent. And I think this whole, you know, growth happens when you struggle, yeah. right? That's when growth happens. And and our natural inclination as parents from the first moment is to protect our kids from, right? As soon as they get sick, they're not sleeping. We want to comfort them, right? And I mean, I think that's why like the, the, the hardest moment, one of the hardest moments as a parent is the first time you're like, no, I'm going to lay here and let them cry it out and sleep through the night, yeah. you know, or whatever it is, you know? And it's like, oh my God, um, uh, you know, so so in all these moments of growth, that's when struggle happens. That's when it's difficult. And as a parent, I think you're always navigating when do I intervene versus when do I step back and help my kids see, well, what's good? What's good about this? Right. What's good about your hard teacher, your difficult coach, whatever, versus, oh, something's crossed the line into dangerous Um and now as the adult, I, I, st I step in yes. um, because I know better, you know, and, um, and, and, and so you're constantly, you know, you're constantly doing that. And again, you get it wrong mm -hmm. yeah. sometimes as well. Well, that's, what's funny. Parenting is an art form. Like there's no rules. Kathy and I've been doing a podcast for however many Th years, 13 like years. there's no like, okay, this is how you do it because there are times when we do have to step in and, and, and step into our leadership and maybe have exert a little more control, but it's very rare that that would happen. Sweetie, what are you going to well, say? Well, and I was going to say that's the, that's the layered thing here is just as we are watching our children struggle or we're trying to figure out when to step in and go, we're struggling in the moment as well. Is, is this the time that I step in? Ooh, I stepped, I stepped in too quickly yeah. or I stepped in too late. And then sometimes you glean lessons from that, like, you know, next time, but really it's not the next time you may need to do it differently. There is mm -hmm. no, and this is the thing about human beings that they're, are no hard and fast rules. There's things that we do and that we play with. And I like the word art. You know, you really have to be agile. You have to be an athlete, right? Well, John, you, know, you have to figure out how to do this. John said that growth happens through struggle. And yeah. I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm getting to the point in my life where I don't think any learning happens through success. Now, maybe that's not true. Maybe there is some learning. But as we talk about these challenges as being parents, like if we could reframe you know, whenever we get, whenever I get reactive and my kids come home with a problem or whatever, and I don't do it well, then it's, um, I could be like, oh, poor me. Or I could be like, this is an opportunity for me to visit this experience through a different lens or with a different energy. So I, here's my question. Do you think all growth happens through struggle or can we also grow through when when you score that goal or when your kid tells you that they love you with all their heart, which, you know, still waiting for for those types of conversations to happen. Our kids are so self-involved. They say that to you. They do. I it's was going to say, don't throw them under the it bus. It just doesn't happen as often as we want them well, to. Well, when parents. we're directing them, they're not like, thank you yeah, so much right. for the direction, but exactly. they say they Exactly. That's true. That's true. So does any growth happen through success or is it all through struggle? Well, I think anytime you have success it's not like oh i just won the lottery right i didn't randomly pick some numbers and then it happened right so if i had success on the sports field maybe in that moment right usually what what happens is validation 
Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think the coach or the parent can step in instead of saying, wow, look at you. You're so talented. Right. This is when we talk about growth mindset. Right. It's not it's like, wow, you've been working so hard and today it all came together for you. Mm. And let's connect the th- where's all the threads of those days when you had tears in your eyes, when you struggled, when you were upset. That's what happened to today. And and you can't have one without the other. You know, I mean, you, we tell the teams that I coach or they work with, like, if you're going to feel the moment of the most incredible victory, you also have to be prepared for those moments of utter heartbreak. Mm-hmm. One does not happen without the other once you're in the arena in sport and um and in relationships, I mean, you're going to if you're going to fall in love, you're going to also get your heart broken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, well, and along those same lines, you shared I, I appreciated this small story in the book where it was talking about learning through failure. And you had an experience in high school, John, where you had a teacher hand you back a paper that you thought you did well on and you got a big fat F on it. Mm-hmm. Will you mm-hmm. share that story? Yeah, sure. And 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 so what we call these things rule of one moments, right? One person, one comment, one time can change your life. And I don't know that I've ever met anyone who doesn't have a moment like this from a teacher, a friend, uh, a coach, trusted colleague or whatever. And so, yeah, that was 11th grade. Brother Jeff, Je- Brother Jeff Peterson. I went to a Catholic high school on Long Island and you know, I got a big fat red F in my paper and I, I was a good student. I was just lazy. And I said, Brother Jeff, like, there's no way this paper is an F. I know it's better than other people's. And he was like, John, I didn't give you an F based on what they can write. I gave you an F based on what you can write. And this is this is crap. Sorry, it's a non-explicit podcast. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I won't use his exact words, but, you know, this was the 80s and whatever. And then and so then he uh, he goes. Then, then he grabs my books and he throws them out the third story window of, you know, and he goes, get out of my classroom and don't come back until you're willing to give me your best effort because you are a great writer. Mm. And that was the first time in my life I ever thought of myself as a good writer. Mm. Right. That was the moment. Right. Um, and and. I've de- not only dedicated my books to Brother Jeff, right, who's no longer in the priesthood. He actually is a vice president of a college now, and we reconnected a couple years ago and everything like that. And um, and he had read my books, and he was like, again, see, here's the thing. He didn't remember this moment. Mm-hmm. Of course. The moment that changed my life was part of his normal day. He had no idea, but this is the power that we wield as teachers and coaches and parents as well. Um and, uh, you know, the the interesting part about that as well is, you know, I went home that day. I was pissed. I, I was angry at Brother Jeff and how dare he and whatever. And I remember going home and, you know, complaining to my dad, you know, and, you know, my dad was, you know, the Irish Catholic from the Bronx and, you know, New York City firefighter. And I just blah, 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 complained. He goes, hmm, was, was he right? And I was like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, is what he said true? I'm like, well, yeah. He goes, then what are you complaining about? Mm -hmm. Right. And and I think of today how many parents would have been on the phone with the principal or the board of the the school board and the fire the teacher. And, uh, you know, and it's like and it just took my dad to be like, 
this is struggle. Mm -hmm. This is an important lesson, right? And it, it could have totally been missed if my dad in that moment didn't say, well, was he right? Well, there was some, there's some shock value to how he chose to give you this lesson. And I would categorize yeah. it as challenger energy. Like he did something kind of impactful to wake you up. Yeah. And my question is, and I don't, you know, Brother Jeff did what Brother Jeff did. And obviously the story ends well. I just wonder if there is, would there have been another way for him to communicate that message to you in a way that would have landed as well? Or this is, he knew you well enough to know that this is the only way you're going to wake up. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I I think we have to add the caveat that, like I said, this is 40-something years ago. And I don't know that you get away with that today, yeah. nor maybe should you or whatever. But 100%, right? This was a teacher that I knew well. I'd had him before. I, You know, he was one of those teachers that I'd go and hang out in his classroom. And, and we were close, mm -hmm. right? So this was this this was an act of love. This was not an act of fear or intimidation. Yeah. This was an act of love. And it, it's it's what he knew I needed in that moment. And I think, you know, the art of coaching or the art of parenting is recognizing who's in front of me and, and, and what do they need in yes. this moment, right? And do they need a hug or do they need some, you know, a, a little discipline? Yeah. Do they need, you know, that that's the art. Right. And the best coaches and, and I think the parents who have those best relationships recognize it because even, you know, when your kid needs that nudge or that kick in the pants, sometimes it doesn't mean there's not moments where they just need a hug. Yes. <laughs> right. And, and right. just need love mm. and be like, you know what, like, come here. It's going to be OK. Let's have a bowl of ice cream and we can work through this tomorrow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I know Todd's got like a structure that he wants to go through with no, you, Todd. We're just, we're, we're just, we're well, just, and I, I have to bring I like it like this. I know. I bring, I'm bringing this question right in the middle because I, I'm talking to moms all the time and their sons and daughters are athletes and they, their greatest concern or the thing that I hear over and over again, and they always are like, do you know a therapist who can help my child because their identity has become completely um, around sports and when they get injured or if they aren't played or if they're not going to make this team in high school or if they don't get a scholarship to college, I'm afraid my child is going to fall apart because their entire foundation is built on this identity of being an athlete, which has been very driven by culture, which has been, you know, we have all these good reasons like, and I know, I know this is such a big part of, you know, what you write about and talk about the importance of teams, the importance of sports. But when it gets to this point where then a kid doesn't even know who they are beyond it, can you speak to that in any way you want? Like, how do you talk mm. to parents and coaches about identity with kids? I mean, I, I think this is pretty accepted what everything you said is, is true, right? That that many children in sport and, – and I mean it could be the same thing around piano, sure. right? Like let, let, let's face it. It's not just sport but that they're they, – instead of becoming John the guy who plays soccer, it's John the soccer player. Exactly. So yeah, I get hurt. I get cut. I get whatever. My whole life and the structure around it fails. This has been driven by our society of early specialization and and more, 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 younger, 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 
so that so many kids lose many aspects of their childhood because of sport, right? That, you know, it, it it's all about, um, you know, every weekend in the summer is another baseball tournament. And so um, that's my friend group and that's whatever. But yeah, it, it's not super healthy. Now, here's like, here's the interesting part, right? To truly become an elite competitor, you almost have to lose yourself in it. Mm-hmm. It requires a level of ruthlessness and selfishness and and all this sort of stuff. And that's why we see, I mean, what we now have is lots of pros leaving sport and talking about this issue, right? That they really struggle in transition out of sport, mm-hmm. right? Pros get help with that. 15 year olds often don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so it's this really important thing as a parent that we recognize it. Someone, you know, it's really interesting you ask that question because someone asked me, I, I got a really interesting email this morning, actually, um, based on a recent podcast I did. And, and the the question the listener posed was, are some people, are some kids addicted to sport? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, are they addicted? Um and, I, you know, I thought about that, but the question that popped into my head is, are some parents addicted to their kid being in sport, Yeah, right? It's their friend group. It's their thing. When you cut a kid off a team or put them on a B team, you're also removing parents from the people they've hung out with for four years. And so I think oftentimes the problem is not with that unicorn athlete who's super focused, competitive and driven. It's the parent who's super focused, competitive and driven on behalf of the kid who could probably take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And 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 then that sort of they impose that upon the child who then struggles a lot of times because they see their mom or dad struggling. Yeah. I, right? I see this as a cycle often with parents where, you know, when they're when the kids are young and the parents are like, you know, I'm going to help you with this sport. Maybe they played or they kind of know the scene or they just really want their kid involved. And then they help them. And then the kid recognizes that as a way to connect with their parent. And they also may like it. Like this isn't, this is very, again, this is very multi-layered. And then they come back and ask for help. And so the parent goes back in and, you know, make sure that, you know, let's get on the travel team and let's do this. And then it's this back and forth, but no one's really asking the other, is this what we want? You know, Mm -hmm. or the kid, you know, I'll just go to the side that you just said, the kid is like, well, this is what my parents want me to do. This is who we are. This is the culture of our family. And there is, and so, and then sometimes it's hard, it becomes very enmeshed, enmeshed where like, you're not, the kid's like, but I don't know, this is what I do now. I, and again, there's no big answer in here that where it's like, well, then do this. But I think the thing is, is just being able to talk to your kid about where they are now, what they, what they want. Do they enjoy this? Do they get things out of it? Because sometimes we forget to even, to even connect to, are they experiencing joy? So what I hear Mm -hmm. you saying is, as parents, we got to check ourselves. Is this about us? And let's just assume for a second, it's not about us. And yeah, the that kid, our kid's the really kid driven. just happens to yeah. be, mm-hmm. you know, completely fanatical about being a gym rat, playing basketball, whatever it is. Um, I mean, there's no, to your point, sweetie, there's no like, okay, this is what you do then. Right. Other than like, you have a discussion around it. Like, okay, help me understand why you think this is the only thing. And then like, start diving in. Like, okay, what does that say? about you if you think that if you blow your knee out and you can't be a football player anymore 
how does that equate your value? And then you bring your own experiences into it. I, like there's no right, there's no perfect response to that, is there? No, are you asking uh, me? Yeah. Either yeah, one. Uh, John, I'd, yeah. write, I'd like John to respond. Yeah, no, I mean, again, you're, you, I think you're constantly checking in. Mm-hmm. You're constantly saying, is this still the path we want to be in? You know, a lot of, a lot of parents go down this path of, well, we've already invested so much. Mm-hmm. We can't stop now. Correct. Right. That this is an investment um, without checking in or recognizing, oh, my kid checked out about a year and a half ago. Oh, you know, they've been going through the motions. Um, and so that's, that's the challenge. Um, you know, like, you know, I'll give the example, like my, my daughter, we were talking off camera. She's going to be a senior in high school. She's looking at colleges. She could play college soccer. She doesn't want to. Right. But she's known this for a while. Um, and so, you know, she backed off and found some other interests, but she just, we just went to her final club soccer event, uh, Western U.S. championships uh, a couple weeks ago. And it was awesome. And and she could, you know, most, she's a, a late birthday. So most of her teammates are graduating this year. She's got another year and she could have played another year. She's like, you know, no, I love that team. I love that group. Mm. I'm done. Like, mm. I, I just want to just you know, do other things next year. I'll play high school soccer and I'll do that. Um, and I, I just think it's great that she has this sense of self that that was something that she loved to do, but it wasn't her. Right. And she's like, you know, I want to like, I maybe play club in college or something like that, but I don't think it's something that I want to dedicate 20 or 30 hours a week to. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, and yeah, she had like, I, I love that story so much because She's like, I loved this team. I loved these people. I loved this time of life. I loved this. And now I take that skill with me, but I'm going to use it differently than the path maybe a lot of people envision, which is you got to keep climbing up, 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 up. And, and, and John, this is something I remember from, you know, years ago with your first book. Will you, even if you don't have the exact stats, will you give us the stats about, you know, the how kids, many kids go. Bail? How many kids go to actually college and actually play sports? And you know, how many kids become professional? I just remember learning from you. Like sometimes we kind of, you know, so many parents say, "Well, my kid is going to get to school on a, you know, a, a scholarship for their sport," but it's not that common. Oh, it's 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 minuscule. minuscule. I mean, yeah. certainly, and it's different across sports, right? But you know, maybe 5% of high school athletes might play a college sport. And of that 1% might get a scholarship and less than 1% might get a division one scholarship. And, um, you know, and depending on your sport, if it's an international sport, well, then it's even smaller because a lot of those spots are taken by international kids as well. So it's like that, that's gotta be the, the cherry on top. And, you know, and I look at, like I had the absolute honor and 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 pleasure of coaching my daughter's group through sort of middle school, which I think is such a hard time for girls. Um, and this this growth and I spent so much time um, managing the dynamics of these kids and 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 really talking about all these things that we wrote about in the new book here about being a great teammate and and what that meant and how you treat people. Uh, because because girls at that age can get very clicky and ostracize people and whatever, and we fought against it and fought against it. And that team, after that, you know, they they got you know another coach took over the last couple of years, and she was amazing. But they 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 kept that they mm-hmm. kept that 
camaraderie and that friendship. And even during the high school season where these kids went to four different high schools, once a month, they'd get together and have dinner as a team. And, and they would do all this stuff together. And it, it was just awesome. And and the coach said to me, she's like, I just this is like the easiest group I've ever coached. But I don't think that's it wasn't an accident. No, like the, there was a great group of parents whom I worked hard to shape. Right. And again, they're great people, but it doesn't mean nothing ever happened. Sure. Right. It was a great group of kids that, you know, we, we, we talked about things before they became big problems. Yeah. And I just think this is the lesson, at, you know, for, for coaches, especially is like, you know, you, you don't just go, oh, you're so lucky. What a great parent group or, oh, what a great group of kids. Like it, some of it's luck. And some of it's intentional action, and it's so important that we are intentional about these things like teaching people to be a great teammate Yeah, (laughs) instead of just hoping they're going to be a good teammate. You know what, John? Like Tad and I talk a lot about, you know, the way that we interact with people or with our kids or or the way that we talk to our kids about it. When you meet other people who do similar things, it's like you're speaking a similar language. You can talk to each other about things. You can deal with conflict. You can tell the truth. And and when I'm saying these things, I'm in a compassionate way. You know, you're a good listener, all those kind of things. But when you're not, when you're with people who do things differently, it's like you literally speak a different language. And what you did with that team was you taught them how to speak a similar language so they could mm-hmm. trust each other. And then they're going to go through life being like, I know I can, you know, because this is a big thing that, you know, especially on a team, you have to know how to manage conflict with people in a way that you you can bring something up, you can share your feelings, you can say when you're disappointed and that that person can hear it and you can have a, an ongoing conversation about it where you can build trust on that. But a lot of teams, if you don't have that backbone that you gave them because you focused on belonging and, you know, dealing with things up front, a lot of it basically, you're not speaking the same language is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can really be difficult. You talk about that with your um in your book about certain teams that, you know, really high profile people who actually learn a certain language and then inspire that culture within their team versus the the person that comes in that's so good and they're just trying to win the game for themselves and they're not communicating with their team in the same way. Could- well, he he tells a story about Kobe um and I, I did uh, Jerry work with Phil is that right or no? Yeah, yeah. So Jerry, Jerry, um, his first book was one called Thinking Body, Dancing Mind, which became very well known in the sports world 30 years ago, right? Before there was a lot of sports psychology and stuff out there. And so it was a book that Phil made uh, Phil all ja- the bulls. Phil Jackson. Yeah. Phil Jackson, yeah, made all the bulls re- uh, read. And then um, – And then um, when he went to the Lakers, it was sort of the same thing. And so they've just been uh, connected ever since. And it was it was awesome, actually, like two weeks ago, Jerry and I spent 90 minutes on a Zoom with Phil Jackson, who's like an amazing guy. And we we found him on his ranch in Montana and had a discussion. I I mean, uh, we're talking about the same principles that all of us are talking about here today. And he's doing it at a higher level with. Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or whatever, but the, you know, selfishness, selflessness versus selfishness. When's the, when's the time for each? Um, you know, how do I become someone who gives instead of gets right? How can I give to my team? Uh, humility, 
things like that that I just think oftentimes get missed. And and people like Phil Jackson or Steve Kerr, like the they're very open about this, but I think people just go straight to the the wins and losses and they forget or they don't pay attention to how much goes on behind the scenes and how much love and trust and respect there is that leads to that championship. Well, and it's funny you talk about um I think it's chapter thirteen, get uncomfortable being uncomfortable. And you talk there's a story in there about um Air Anson Dorrance from University of North Carolina Women's Soccer Program once encountered Mia Hamm, the reigning player of the year and already one of the top players in the world, training by herself early one morning on a hot, hot, humid summer day. As he watched, she pushed herself through sprint after sprint, falling to the ground, gasping for breath after each. Um, It made me think, because I remember I was lucky enough to go see a New England Patriots practice during preseason. And after the practice was over, everybody went in. And this is when Tom Brady was still on the Patriots. And he was the last one on the field doing drills. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and this is after he's already won four or five Super Bowls. And I'm just like, nobody ever sees it. Nobody ever talks about it. But that's what puts them in their plate. We just think that Mia Hamm and Tom Brady and Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan we're just super talented. Showed up that way, which right? they were. Mm-hmm. But there's mm-hmm. no way you can be that, um, and also without that discipline in it. So now, how do we shift that lesson into parenting? Like, because it's parenting is freaking hard, as hard as any other sport that anybody's ever played. So I just wonder if if you can take that story that you told in the book and shift it into parenting. Hmm. I mean, that's a great question. I, I I think, I mean, parenting is getting comfortable being uncomfortable, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> right? That that you are constantly in situations where you're like, oh man, you know this this is this is a tough one. What what do I do? I think <clears throat> having a trusted relationship, whether you're you know still married and and with your spouse. Of, I mean, there's so many things that my wife and I like, okay, like, let's talk about this before we make a decision. Mm-hmm. And we're pretty good at saying to our kids, oh, let me talk to your mom. Let me talk to your dad. Right. And, and, and then, of course, they try to do the end around. Right. And then you're like, ah, uh-uh. like we talk. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we communicate. Right. So, so, you know, what, what are, what are the things and, you know, what are the, what are the, Things that like I'm going to stake my flag and say this I will not bend and compromise on versus versus that. But I think, you know, you, you give examples of. I think sports cool because we all sort of have some sort of relationship where we understand these things and we understand people and and that people who do things well put in more time than others. Well, and right? for me, but, yeah. it's it's. um when I, I, I'm, I guess I'm answering my own question, it's like put in the reps. And what the reps is, we're going back to E plus R equals O, is do I have the discipline to not get reactive when our mm-hmm. kid comes in just mad at the world or mad at a friend or mad at me? And that's for me. So, sweetie, well, what Well, I say? wanted to add to this is that something like, because I'm, I'm like seeing the frame and I like want to move the frame over to our kids when they love something and when it comes from like it's in alignment with who they are, 
they have more of an ability to give the Mia Ham Tom Brady thing. If we have a child and we say, you're going to play soccer and I want you to give what Mia Ham gives, our kids may not have that because that's not their dream. Because I've watched with my own kids where I've been, where they've picked up things and I've been like, oh, this is going to be so good. They're, they're going to love this or they have a natural talent for this. And then they just are not putting in what you would think they would, mm-hmm. you know, like the, you've got kind of like a road here, take that road. But then they find something on their own and you see them doing it in their room late at night or you see them spending two hours, you know, figuring out this little part of it. And it's because it's coming from inside. So John, mm-hmm. you've already spoke to this, but knowing your kid is such a big if your dream is for them to do this sport and do it well it may not look the way you they may not be Mia Ham you know well well and i think it's important when it, you know when it comes to sport most people don't have any inside knowledge of what a Kobe Bryant did or a Mia Ham did or an Abby Wambach did they have no idea and oftentimes we often call things talent which is just ability and the younger our kid is, that ability is so often just completely dependent on when they were born. Yeah. What month of the year, right? So uh, the kid who's born in January and January one's the cutoff for the baseball or the soccer team. If your kid's born in January, he or she is almost always going to be labeled as, quote, more talented than the kid born in November. Mm. And they're just 11 months older. Mm. And it makes a huge difference when they're young. And we call this relative age in sport. And so we we really don't know. And Tom Brady, again, is the perfect example, right? Like if arguably the greatest football player of all time at age 23 had 167 teams say, nah, we're not going to pick him. Right. The idea that we can identify talent at age six or seven or eight, it's absurd. Mm. Right. And 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 so what I'd say is talent is is really ability plus these psychological characteristics, you know, like gritty resilience and integrity and all these things that that help get you there. That that's what true talent is. Um, Most people have no idea. And so I think. Our job as parents really is like or my belief is help your kids find their passion instead of trying to determine it for them. So I'm going to jump over to the leadership section, part three and chapter 24. What Part of what I the reason I love your book, John, is most of the quotes come from like Maya Angelou and John Kabat-Zinn and Mother <laughs> Teresa. It's, you know, you got some it's Dean Smith warm. and yeah. Phil Jackson in there, too, but. It's a lot of the people that Kathy and I kind of emulate, try our best to emulate ourselves after. So I'm just going to read the two quotes that start with the learn to serve chapter. And it's from Maya Angelou. When what you're supposed to do when you don't like a thing is change it. If you can't change it, change the way you think about it. Don't complain. And then John Kabat-Zinn says, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. And I'm wondering if you can just reshare the story because Abby Wambach is somebody who Kathy and I were lucky enough to meet because she came to one of our conferences. Uh, but you have a story in the book about Abby and how she learned to surf. Would you mind mm-hmm. sharing that? 
This is one of my favorite stories in the book um, because it epitomizes, I think, so much and there's so much to learn. And so the story is obviously uh, for any of your listeners who don't know, Abby Wambach's one of the greatest female players of all time, multiple time world player of the year, World Cup, Olympic champion. I mean, the accolades go on and on. But in 2019, U.S. women are in the World Cup 2019. No, 2000. 15. Yeah. 2015. They're in the World Cup. Um the the coach of the team pulls Abby aside, says you're no longer gonna start, right? You're gonna come off the bench. And as Abby talks about, like she was just heartbroken, absolutely devastated. Like this is this is it. This is the final event of my career. I'm gonna retire after. Now I'm on the bench. I've never been on the bench my entire life. I'm the world player of the year. I'm this, I'm that. And she said she was so angry and mad and crying and upset and calling her loved ones and all that. And then she said, you know, I and then I sort of thought about it and like this moment right here is going to define my career, how I respond, not react. I'm reacting now, which is okay. I'm reacting privately, but how I respond to this is going to be what I'm remembered for. And she decided to respond by being an amazing teammate and coming off the bench and supporting those on on the field, right? And I mean, I think she talks about how Jill Ellis was like, I got to sub you in because you're annoying the heck out of me right now, <laughs> like yelling in my ear. Um, but, you know, and she, and, and she talks about how like so many of her teammates that are close from that team remember that was a defining moment for them mm-hmm. too, right? If the best player ever arguably – you know, can react to or respond to getting benched this way. How can I do things differently? And I just think it's it's just an amazing story because that's the lesson, right, that we need to all teach our kids, yeah. right? So, okay, you're on the bench. Now what? Right. Are you going to become petulant and selfish and, and cut the legs out from the coach and the team? And as the parent, are you going to intervene or whatever? Or are you going to say – you know, what did Abby do in this situation? She became a great, a great teammate, you know? Um, and, and yeah, so I absolutely love that story. And, and I, I know that Abby looks at that as like, that was one of the defining moments of her life mm. right yeah. there. So um, I, I think we maybe have 15 minutes left <clears> and I got a bunch of questions I still want to ask, but I want to make sure, sweetie, that you get your chance to ask anything or I can keep going. No, I just wanted to add to that story because I love that story too. And I think, you know, I've heard Abby tell that story and what I love about it, which you also shared, John, was that she was upset initially. And she said she went to the locker room and was throwing things around and was pissed off. Yeah. But then, like you said, she called people. She, you know, she, she, it's not about not having the emotion. Mm-hmm. It's about what you're going to do next. And that's like, I think, and I'm, and this is a parenting thing. Sometimes we see our kid react in a certain way. They get angry, they get sad. And, and for us to say, don't be sad or don't be angry to shut that down versus I get it. I get it. And then as the, then helping them understand how to, you know, that's what, that's the whole thing about being emotionally agile is what are you going to do with that energy? You are angry, but how are you going to use it? How are you going to use it? And and if you weren't angry, you, there'd be something wrong right. with you. Yeah. Right. Like it means you care. Yes. Congratulations. Welcome to being human. Yes. Like you, you care, you're nervous, you're stressed, you're angry. You just want to do something fantastic. Yes. 
but it doesn't mean that, you know, but, but then what I do in that moment, I can go, the, the road diverges and I can go in two different directions and one's going to be helpful and one's not. <laughs> yep. Well, that's, it. that's what I've been saying forever. And I'm good at preaching it. I'm probably not that good at, at practicing it. All emotions are good if channeled in a positive way. Some people call positive and negative emotions. They don't subscribe to that. There's uncom- there's comfortable and uncomfortable emotions. And when my kid shows up after a long day with uncomfortable emotions, it tends to bring uncomfortable emotions up to me. Uh, but my hope is that I can hold the space for whatever it hap- whatever happens to be bubbling up in their system and not shut it down. It's so easy for us parents to try to shut it down and it's got nothing to do with them. It's just because I don't feel like... Um, feeling this right now. So instead of me dealing with my reaction to this, I'm just going to shut yours down so I can go on with my business as usual. Well, and then that thing, you know, and this is kind of an obvious thing, but then everything that Abby felt she used on that bench, embarrassment, you know, rage, you know, disappointment, whatever, that's what allowed her to scream and yell and say, come on, I got you. Like she chose the love path, but it was all that energy Mm -hmm. she was releasing you know, was from those initial yeah. foundational emotions, which were, this is, you know, cause she said it was embarrassing. It was all these things, but use it. That's mm-hmm. a, you know, so anyway, thank you, John, for using that, putting that in your book. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that's a powerful mm-hmm. one. Um, mm-hmm. uh, chapter 19, sweep the shed. Quick story. I went to go see the all blacks, uh, play the U S rugby team, um, at soldier field one time. Mm. And like, I don't know, four minutes in the game, it was seven to six. I'm like, I, I, don't mm-hmm. even, I, I, I might be getting the scoring wrong. I don't know how rugby scores, but I'm like, oh, we're in this. And then we mm-hmm. lost like 97 to six. So mm-hmm. um, that's that gives you a quick example of how good the All Blacks are at rugby. And I'm wondering why you put them in the Sweeping the Shed uh, chapter. What do they do? Sweet, sweep the Shed is uh, sort of a, a mantra of the All Blacks. There's a wonderful book called Legacy by a guy named James Kerr about sort of the culture of the All Blacks. And, you know, the All Blacks in the era of professional sports are the winningest team, right? The highest winning percentage. And the, this culture was really based on a lot of things. Um, number one, you don't own the shirt. You're just a custodian of it for a while and you need to leave it in a better place for the next guy who comes after you. Number two, the idea that um, in order to be great, you have to be humble. You can never be too big to do all the little things. And so the way that the All Blacks remind themselves of that. Is that after every game they play, the coaches are done, the media is gone, the 80,000 fans leave Soldier Field, the All Blacks players sweep the locker room. Mm. So they clean up the dirt and the mud and the tape and everything, and they leave the locker room better than they got it, right? And and that's not like, oh, hey, brand new player, here's the broom. That's the team captain picks it up first. Right. And and I I absolutely love that idea. And when I walk into a college um, locker room, oftentimes and I look around. Right. If it's an absolute pigsty, I'm like, and what other details are you missing? Mm-hmm. Right. What else are we missing here? Right. What are the other things that you can't be bothered to do that you might get away with some days? But when it comes down to the finest margins of winning a championship, 
you haven't done them. Mm-hmm. And I can just see it in your locker room. Mm-hmm. And and so I think that it's such a you know, Im- important thing. I, I was working with um, Rutgers field hockey and um, in 2021, we ended up being the number one team in the country. We won the big 10. It was the first Rutgers team to ever win a big 10 championship. And people are like, how'd you know you were there that year? And I was like, you know, I was there in preseason and we had a team meal and I was sitting with the coaches and the head strength coach for the school. And uh, at, we were in the student athletic center. And at the end of the meal, the kids got up. No one asked them to. They cleaned up. They wiped down the tables. They boxed up the food. They made a box of food for the strength coach to bring home to his kids. Mm. They tucked in the chairs and said, we'll see you at practice tomorrow. And the coach looked at sort of us and goes, I've been here 25 years. I've never seen a team do that before. Mm. Right. They just expect someone to pick up after them. Right. Right. And I was like, yeah, that's it. We're there. Mm-hmm. Right. We're there. And, and, and I, I t- talked to that to my kids. And, and again, it's led by a coach as well. Like if I see a piece of tape on the ground or an empty plastic bottle, I might say to a kid, Hey, you're that, can you make sure you, we clean up before we leave? But I can't just kick it out of the way and walk away. Like I got to pick it up too. Yeah, and, and gets, I think that gets if you the, model that, you're great. Yeah, I was going to say modeling is the number one way that I choose that I try my best to parent is by modeling the behavior I want to see in the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the reason I love those stories is because entitlement. There, I think I still have some of my own work to do around entitlement because entitlement drives me up a wall. And the mm. two stories you just shared are the opposite of that. And I just so am inspired by that. And I just know because I get so grumpy around what I perceive to be entitlement that there's still some entitlement me that I need to kind of figure out and process through. So I just love those two stories. The last thing I want to share, and uh, I think it can relate to parenting really well, is a chapter on Pet the Dragons. Can mm. you explain what that means? And then I'll kind of ask a parent, I'll, I'll just, I guess, make a parenting comment around it. What is Pet the Dragons? <laughs> well, um, for for those all the parents who listen to your um podcast there's a great children's book called there's no such thing as a dragon um jack kent i think is the author and and it's a simple story um about a, a little kid who wakes up in the morning and sees this cute little dragon and he pets the dragon and then he goes downstairs and he tells his mom and she says there's no such thing as a dragon and next thing you know the dragon gets a little bigger and throughout the day, um, the mom and then eventually the dad keep saying there's no such thing as a dragon. And every time they do, the dragon gets bigger and then it eventually takes over the house and runs away with the house. And at the very end, they finally acknowledge, you know, little Billy's like, but there is a dragon. Um, and the parents acknowledge it and the dragon gets small and cute again. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and and I think, you know, when we look at most of the children's stories that we read to our kids, there's a lot of valuable life lessons in there. Um, and that one is that when you don't acknowledge small things, they become big things mm-hmm. in your marriage, in your relationships, on your team, whatever it is. And so I love that story. And it's funny to walk into like a division one locker room and read and pull out a kid's book. And they're like, who the heck is this guy? And and read that. But people get it. And, and every locker room, every family has dragons. Yeah. And if you acknowledge them and talk to them and, and deal with it and, and you know, it's going to be difficult and there might be tears 
But if we stick our head in the sand, it's not going away. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny because a couple of these teams, like you know, uh, like I, I, I will buy them like a little stuffed dragon, and it just sits in the locker room, mm-hmm. right? And I'll come in and be like, "All right, does anyone have we been petting the dragon, mm-hmm. right? Or, or is this thing?" ripping the locker room apart right now and it's just a great metaphor for sport and teams and and life and um yeah and it's a cute story too and it, yeah. sweetie what do well, you think of that I, I love it i mean that is and and i i wrote it down because i obviously i'm going to and i'm going to give you full credit and i'm going to give the book full credit but this is what i talk to families about all the time when it comes to i talk about messy conversations with girls and as they're growing up, and obviously it's 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 not gender specific, but just because I'm always talking about the specific things they're dealing mm-hmm. with, um, but that you have confronting, like allowing when they say there's something to say, you see it too, and that you are there with them and that we're going to talk about it. And we're not going to put it in a corner and that we're going to ask questions and that we're going to listen, like all the willingness to um, keep that dragon cute and small rather than it becomes so big that we can no longer even see each other anymore. You know, it, it devours us because mm-hmm. there's like a, it, it goes so far the other way. Mm-hmm. Well, for mm-hmm. me, it's just like, I mean, whether it's a family or an intimate relationship, like if we're not dealing with the stuff, it's not going it's not away. It's not going away. I know. And I just, I've never heard that. I've never heard of that children's book, but I love it. And it's such a wonderful reminder well, of how to be in relationship with anybody. And pet, petting the dragon, especially when you're talking to teams about them, that's what brings them closer. Like this is mm-hmm. the thing about that people don't understand about conflict is is the word. It's almost like we have to come up with a new word. Um, because that's what actually brings us closer, but we avoid it or we don't talk about it. So we get further away. So it's like this paradoxical thing where it's uncomfortable, but that's the way we actually create intimacy and connection. And you use this word in your book a lot, belonging, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. can I bring my whole self here? You know, that's, Mm -hmm. I, I, I have like, I like have so many chapters from your book that Mm -hmm. I just like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm like rereading them because, um, do, can I bring my whole self here? Or am I hiding, mm-hmm. you know, all these aspects of who I am? So I just love yeah. your idea. So do will you say something about belonging really quick? Yeah, sure. And, and I think, you know, the the way we wrote the book is, as you guys have seen, right, they're short. They're like three-page yeah. chapters, right? And, and the idea behind that is, um, you know, we, it was written for high school teams and college teams and, and middle school teams and stuff. It was written for the parent who says, like, you know what? let me get this book for my kid because I want my son or daughter to be a better teammate. And, but it was also written for the coach who says, I need 20. We're going to read this as a team, Mm -hmm. right? We need to do this. And, or maybe we'll just do a chapter a week, right? And we'll spend 15 minutes one day a week and we'll go through it. And at the end of each, um, you know, short chapter, we call it, we have this section called optimize your performance and it's a place to write in the book and write your answers down uh, and then discuss as a team so that when these dragons come up, like you have a discussion about them and, and you know, what do you need to start doing? What do you need to stop doing? What do we need to keep doing, you know, to be better in, in these areas? And not every team needs the same thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and when you do that, right, when you have those discussions, when every, when people have a voice, when you get to speak up, when you acknowledge what's what's wrong – you you have what you know we call psychological safety, yes. right? That and then psychological safety is the 
what research shows is the key to high performing teams that people can speak up. They're not shut down. They're not embarrassed. They're not humiliated. And I think when you have high levels of psychological safety, you have high levels of belonging. You have high levels of people feeling like this is a group that I want to be a part of. We don't see everything eye to eye, but we can disagree respectfully um, and we can agree to pursue a thing even if it's not my favorite path of action because the group thinks this uh, and and my ideas matter. Um, you know, I think one of the most um, – important topics we we teach in there that we didn't really cover here it's an acronym and we call it the river right and and the river being when you make people feel relevant when you make them feel important when you validate them when you empower them and when you respect them you get their very best mm. and teams with belonging do that great coaches do that great parents do that that even when i'm disagreeing or saying no i can still do it with respect yeah. I can still give you a voice. I can still validate your opinion and make you feel important and relevant. And, um, you know, w w when you do that, you, you build that trust and that connection. And that's when people perform their best. Mm, I think that's a great way to great place to stop. Um, John, if anybody's out there and either wants to buy your book or listen to your podcast, um, just go ahead and promote anything you want to. Yeah, I mean the the book's on Amazon right now. It's out in hardcover. Um, we decided to self publish this one so we could, you know, do bulk orders cheaper and get them to coaches cheaper. Um, it'll be in uh, it'll be on all platforms here at the end of August uh, when we release a, a paperback version. My website's changingthegameproject.com. And that's kind of the mothership where you can find the Wave Champions podcast and our blogs and videos and my TED Talk and all that other fun stuff. So that's a great way to sort of uh, connect. And if you like this, I mean, you can reach out to me, John, J-O-H-N at changingthegameproject.com um, is a great way to sort of, you know, if you have any questions or whatever and say, hey, heard you on the, you know, Todd and Kathy's podcast, like. Awesome. It'd be yeah. great to hear from you. Sweet. Um, all right. Sweetie, any closing thoughts? No, just that I love your books, John, and I love your work. And, you know, like like we said at the beginning, a lot of what we learned from you years and years and years ago, we still use. And I always direct people to your work. So thank you for doing what you do in the world. And it's making a big difference. All right, well, everybody. Awesome. We will see you on next week's uh, episode of Zen Parenting Radio. Where's my outro music? Um, oh, I forgot to play a funny clip, but it's all right. <laughs> we'll do that. Oh, boy. It was Alan Iverson. I'll, I'll play it anyways. We won't practice. talk about yeah. it. <laughs> We're talking about practice. Not a game. Not a game. We're talking about practice. Practice, man. I mean, how silly is that? Yikes. So it's so famous because yeah. that's what it is all about. Is that what he's saying? Is no, that what it is, he. You want to give the context around that, John? Do you remember the context? I mean, I I don't remember exactly what um what was happening. It that brought that up. Except I think he got suspended for skipping practice uh, or yeah. behavior in practice, and and we, he was just basically trying to say tell the world practice doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and obviously, Alan Iverson was a supremely talented basketball player who probably wasn't as good as he could have been 
Boom. <laughs> if he was maybe a little more serious about practice. Boom. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> oh, I love ending on that. That's great. Um, okay. Well, now I got to go back to my outro music. All right. John O'Sullivan, you are awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll definitely connect again. Uh, Zen Parenting Radio listeners, thanks for joining us. See you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen Circle, our very own app that includes our virtual community, exclusive content, and support from us. You could also purchase Kathy's award-winning book, Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World or subscribe to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com slash resources. And if you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we'll talk to you again next week.